Welcome to the Marketing in the Wild podcast. I'm Julia from Stratos Creative Marketing, where we are obsessed with finding real-life examples of the good, the bad, and sometimes wild in marketing. Well, listeners, we are here this week with Abigail Hayes out of Nashville. Before I get ahead of myself, and um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but um, before I do that, I just want to tell you guys that this is going to be a really interesting episode because um, Abigail works in political campaigning, um, which has some similarities with marketing because both of us are trying to persuade people to take action. Uh, And so bear with us. Uh, I'm really excited. Um, Some of it might feel like, wait, why is this on a marketing podcast? But it will make sense. So uh, Abigail, tell us a little bit about you, where you are, um, what you do for work, um, and anything else you want to share with us. Yeah. uh, My name is Abigail Hayes. I live in Nashville, Tennessee right now, but I'm from Indiana. So I'm a Hoosier at heart. Um, I have been working in politics in general since about 2015 when I was a sophomore in college, but I started working in electoral politics in 2018. Uh, The way that the nature of campaigns kind of work is you have a job for six months and you work like 100 hours a week, no days off all the time, fighting for what you believe in, and then you move around to another state. So I lived in five different states in two years and I worked for as many candidates. Um, The most recently, I was the training director for the Pennsylvania Coordinated with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Before that, I got to work for Elizabeth Warren, which was absolutely awesome. So excited to talk. Um, Abigail has worked. Abigail ran through all of the people who she's worked with, and some of them I recognize, some of them I don't. But obviously, the name if you live in the United States, you just recognize those names. Um, (laughs) So... Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into politics and working in politics. Like you took a break from college to do this. Yeah, I started working in politics in 2015 when I came out after growing up in a really small kind of rural Indiana town. I went to college and I realized that there were other people that were like me and that I was in a really high place of privilege as someone that can help advocate for other people in my community. So I worked on a campaign that helped try to recognize LGBTQ people as a protected class in Indiana, because right now in in 2022, LGBTQ people are still not a protected class. So we can face discrimination on an everyday basis. Um, And then in 2017 was when I kind of leaned into electoral politics a little bit more. Uh, My dad passed away unexpectedly in May of 2017 of what we believe to be a heart attack following a quadruple bypass that he had had in January. Um, And my dad passing left me, I was 20 at the time, and my younger brother who was 16, and then my mom. And I realized that there's a lot of space that I could be advocating for, especially when it comes to healthcare. So healthcare reform is a really big thing close to my heart and access to healthcare because of my dad's situation and because of people that I've been around my whole life. Um, so I realized that I could continue to do this work and I could actually get paid for it and I could talk to voters and I could find volunteers and I could meet people that are like me that have had a hard experience and have turned it into something great. And 
So I kind of now do this work because of my dad, because he would have, this is what he would have done had he still been around. So I wanted to just try and follow in my, in his footsteps the best that I could. That's awesome. Um, what a cool story. I'm sorry for your loss, <laughs> but you. also like how cool yeah. um, that you can take something that's so awful and really kind of redeem it in a way. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so since then you've worked with a lot of different campaigns, moved around a lot, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit, like you have had different positions on those campaigns. What do you generally do? Yeah. So campaigns are this weird kind of unique, like I've always just called it like a pressure cooker situation. So you can move up really quickly from cycle to cycle. Um, an election cycle is what we consider kind of the beginning of a campaign all the way through election day. And that can range anywhere from two years to like four months. So um, I started on my first campaign as a field organizer and field is the people that will organize volunteers. This is specifically in Democratic campaigns. I don't really know all that much about Republican or other political party campaigns, but this is what we do in mm -hmm. Democratic politics. Uh, so I would recruit and find all of these volunteers in a specific area, and then I would help mobilize them to talk to voters uh, through knocking doors, making phone calls, going to events, um, all with the goal of electing Democrats up and down the ballot. So mm -hmm. that is kind of uh, the field that I've worked in within campaigns. There are a lot of other parts, but we control kind of the message of what's actually going out to voters and what people are hearing that's not on a radio ad or um, on like a TV, a television ad. So mm -hmm. I was doing that. And then as I continued to kind of move through campaigns, I worked two cycles as a field organizer. And then I got promoted to the position kind of above a field organizer, which is a regional organizing director, a pod director, any of those things. So I okay. managed organizers. So I did that in uh, Virginia, where I worked for four state house races and then a state senate race. And I managed 11 organizers and one, I had a deputy organizing director. Wow. So I helped train them and coach them and teach them on how to do kind of the contact and manage volunteers the way that we do in campaign politics. We've got weird ways of getting people to say yes and getting people to actually mm -hmm. follow through with things. Um, and then I realized that my second cycle as a manager for organizers, I realized that I wanted to just keep teaching people because it's so important and I loved the work. And so I went into training. So I was a training director, which just meant okay. that I got to kind of develop and implement all of the programs that we had for our volunteers and for our staff. So like continued learning and management trainings and things like that, because that's kind of a, it, it has been a gap in the past existing on campaigns on how to be a good manager. So I wanted to just keep teaching people how to do it. So I moved over to that side. That's awesome. Yeah. This is just so fascinating to me because I am, I, I vote everybody. <laughs> like I do vote. Um, but like, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that we don't yeah. know about. And what we do hear about sometimes isn't like the best, like it's yeah. usually like bad press or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, or um, we watch TV shows like Scandal and then like everything is like. <laughs> yeah, it's, campaigns are really odd. This might be an interesting kind of yeah. point to focus on, but campaigns are really weird. Not a lot of people know about it, but they're 
there are people that are controlling every single part of an election um, Mm -hmm. from the candidate's perspective, whether that be on like a really small state Senate race to all the way up to a presidential campaign. Um, We've done a lot of weird stuff and it's not, it's Mm -hmm. definitely not like scandal or West wing as much as I wish that it would. Those offices look so nice. Um, but the reality and is all their and all their outfits too. Oh my god! Just yeah. really, <laughs> the reality anyway. of it is, it's a bunch of it's a lot of twenty somethings uh, that are wearing leggings and sweatshirts and drinking Monster and working twelve hour days, talking to as many people as they as they can because they think that 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 it's worth something that they should mm-hmm. try and do what they can. So um, yeah, we usually rent out old uh, like month to month offices. Okay. So okay. I've worked in uh, what used to be a furniture store in Chicago, okay. um, a former dance studio, um, a former restaurant, things like that, a former Planet mm-hmm. Fitness. So yeah, it's kind of interesting in that aspect too, on like how we, how we kind of come in and then leave really quickly as well, mm-hmm. which is different yeah. than like traditional kind of marketing. It's not, it's not quite as glamorous as no. some of the TV shows. <laughs> But it's, it's, <laughs> it's just as fun. It's very okay. not as glamorous. <laughs> okay, sweet. Um, and so one of the things I mentioned already is that I um, I and our team um, were talking about how political campaigning is similar to marketing in the sense that um, you, you're trying to, we're both trying to persuade people with mm-hmm. different ends. Um, And I would be curious to hear from you, like, especially in your training role, like, what are some ways that you encourage your volunteers to talk to people? Like, how do you, like, what persuasive tactics do you you guys use? Like, how far do you go? Like, yeah, I'd be curious to hear about that. Yeah, well, the thing that I think is probably the most different or the two things that I think are probably the most different between like traditional business marketing versus like campaigns and trying to sell a candidate is one, we have a limited amount of time to talk to these people. So it's anywhere, usually with field programs, we usually have around 200 to a hundred days to talk to people. So we are reaching out to them all the time. We contact and kind of like through every method possible, whether that be door knocking, texting, calling, all of those things, sending mail, trying to get TV ads. We're contacting these people Mm -hmm. all the way up until the end, sometimes three times in a weekend, especially as we get closer. So that's one thing that's really different. Um, And we can kind of, we can be a little bit more, I would say, aggressive about Mm -hmm. how we're getting these people. Um, But the language that we use in campaigns, I think is incredibly unique on how we talk to voters uh, if we're trying to gain their vote or if we're trying to get someone to volunteer. so persuading people, we we knock in or we talk to people in a persuasion universe, which is people that we think that we can convince to vote for our candidate. And kind of the early, like three months out, two, three months out from a campaign or from an election. And we talk a lot about our own personal experiences. That I think is the biggest thing that uh, we found is the most effective when it comes to talking to people is we ask them what their story is. Like, what is their day-to-day life? What do they do for a living? What problems are they finding with their current elected official? And then we can tell our own stories and say, well, I'm supporting Joe Biden because he believes in this aspect of healthcare or he wants to do this or 
Elizabeth Warren wanted to do this. And so that's why I wanted to vote for her. And I want you to be on my side so you can understand my own human experience. So I think that that's definitely really unique because every conversation that everyone has is going to be different depending on what person shows up at the door and what person dials the number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. And like, because I'm thinking about it from a marketing t- standpoint, like that's like testimonials, like yeah. it's personal experiences, which businesses can use too. But I could see how that would be really um persuasive or really like even just like connecting like you're connecting with people on a human level saying hey your experience might be different it might be similar but like here's how this candidate can um bring you success like almost connecting like their the candidates yeah the candidates goals with like their person's yeah experience so yeah and volunteer recruitment I don't know how relevant this might be to the podcast but I think it's really interesting because it's definitely not something that's used in any other field that I've worked in ever is we use this method to get volunteers uh it's called the hard ask so Essentially, when we call volunteers or when we talk to people, and I have now, I have done this so often, it's a part of my daily life. Um, I essentially don't give people an out when you ask them a question. So instead of saying like, hey, do you want to come knock doors for me? When they can say like, no, I don't, I don't want to knock doors. And be like, hey, oh my God, I'm so excited for you to come out and join us. What day are you going to come knock out with us? Are you going to knock on mm-hmm. Saturday or are you going to knock on Sunday? And then if mm-hmm. those days don't work, we can knock on Tuesday or we can knock on Wednesday. What day are you going to come? So that's also really unique and like getting that kind oh. of buy-in for volunteers. Mm-hmm. So that's like excellent sales tactics right oh, yeah. there. So <laughs> oh yeah. We're like little tiny salespeople at doors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, that's awesome. Um, my other question to you is obviously like when you're approaching people, like sometimes there's really sensitive topics. Like I even think about, um, your first experience, um, advocating for LGBTQ rights. Like even that can be a really sensitive topic, unfortunately, to be quite honest, like it shouldn't be. Um, (laughs) but I'm curious, like, what are some things that you've learned through, your work about approaching these when you're either meeting new people who might not agree with you, who you don't even know where they're at. Like, yeah. I'd be curious to hear about that. Um, That's a great question. I, I'm definitely a little bit, I wouldn't say jaded, but like, I've had so much experience, like negative, I've had so many negative experiences. Cause I've knocked, if I were to like estimate, I would probably say anywhere from like 3000 to 4000 doors minimum in the last 2 years and That's i've wild. made probably 10 to 12000 calls like just over mm-hmm. the course of a campaign yeah so um but when it comes to the kind of hard subjects it's kind of it's a matter of one how much you're willing to share about yourself or how much you're willing to kind of put your own personal beliefs at stake which is part of why campaigns run so short is like every day for uh, the duration of a campaign, I would talk, I would look at someone in the eye and I would say, here are the things that are making me a person. And here's why this other candidate doesn't believe that I should have rights. And then I, I do, would have to look someone in the eye while they sat there and they told me that they didn't believe that I should have rights. And right. I just had to say, all right, um, there's not going to be a point where we're going to agree with each other. And 
we're not going to have a civil conversation. So I would just leave or just walk away or end the call. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to more sensitive subjects, especially, I think relating it back to like our own stories, like everyone has, everyone knows everyone's got a gay cousin or (laughs) everyone's got like someone that's had a hardship. And so when I'm talking to someone that might be like a really conservative Republican that I'm trying to get to vote for Elizabeth Warren, um, mm-hmm. I would, I would talk about something that is kind of a like traditional issue towards them or asking like, are you a blue collar worker? What has your experience mm-hmm. been with that? And then relating my own personal story, because I can say, I can talk about my own personal experiences as much as I want. And no one can look me in the eye and tell me that my personal experience is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. but they can tell me that a policy is wrong and they can tell me that my candidate's beliefs are wrong. Mm-hmm. So using that own kind of personal story aspect is another good way to do it. Mm-hmm. No, that makes total sense. And I think that um in the end, like I guess I'm of the belief that as people and as humans, like we all have to have something that we can relate to. Like, yeah. um, and there might be big things that feel like obstacles of like, oh, I cannot relate to this person. Yeah. But in the end, like if we can pull those stories out of people, like mm-hmm. we can we can find common ground. Yeah. So. I think the mm-hmm. the the point of no return for me, and mm-hmm. it took me a while to kind of get there, is uh, say, I I've said this to people more, more often than not is I don't know how to explain to you that you need to care about other people. That's Mm -hmm. usually the end line for the end of a conversation with me is like, I just don't, I, there's no way for me to explain to you that you have to, that you should care about this. So (laughs) that would be really hard. I can imagine that would be so exhausting by the end of a campaign, Abigail. It's, it's very mentally draining. Um, there's a lot of, really winning is really cool. It feels really good. Not winning really sucks, but you get a lot of really cool experience, but it it is really mentally draining. And that's, that's a big part of working in anything that you care about. I think when it comes to like the nonprofit sector or this kind of work is it's, it's something that you take home with you every day. Like you wake up every day thinking about it and you go home every night thinking about it or having stress nightmares or having all of these things or being, being genuinely scared about what, Mm -hmm. what our country is going to look like six months from now. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's definitely really mentally draining and it is not, it's something that people can do in the long term. but there's a reason that their, the campaign is so short because then we're unemployed. And like, I was so comfortable with just not doing anything for a month. Like I just lay down for a month. And then find the new job. So mm-hmm. it's really unique in that way. Yeah. How this is not in our questions at all, but yeah. I'm curious, like, how do you take care of yourself like during the campaign? Like Um That's a great question. I got mm-hmm. very lucky, uh, especially in the 2020 election. So my fiance, who does not work in politics, she works uh in the music industry. She's a tour manager for a blues musician. Cool. But uh she, we moved in together as the 2020 election cycle was kind of starting after I moved out from Arizona and she took care of me. Like I credit the reason that I was able to do the work that I did in 2020. And I I think that she's listening, but I credit that to her because she was able to like, make sure that I was eating and sleeping. Um, Mm -hmm. but before that, when I was kind of on my own, it looked like asking volunteers being like, Hey, I, 
have eaten McDonald's takeout every night at 11 p.m. for the last four days. Can you bring some carrots to our office? Like, can you just bring some vegetables for our staff? Because we haven't had any or um, we had a lot of water breaks on our calendars. Like I would invite my staff to have water breaks or like uh, we had one called the weekly scream call where we would all hop on like a Google Hangout That's and awesome. literally yell for a minute and then log off. So awesome. kind of <laughs> those are kind of right. like the ways, but it was a lot of like really hard methods of like, I have to write this down or set a reminder or do these things so I can remember to be a person um, yeah, for sure. in order to do the job. But I ate a lot of takeout and a lot of frozen meals is the bottom line. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, I'm just curious because, yeah, like I think there is, like your campaigns are short. Like as business owners, we also like are thinking and stressing and have stress dreams. I had one last night. Oh, um, yeah. Super fun. <laughs> I, um, oh, my gosh. Um, and so we, yeah, but I think taking care of yourself is so important, like during yeah. all of that. And so I was just curious from yeah. your angle. It's so. it's also like it's really turned me. This is this might also be a little bit of a tangent, but it's turned me into like someone that really enjoys like I to make to make money because I am in school full time. Mm -hmm. I work at Trader Joe's a couple of hours a week. And I love that job. I don't take anything home with me. I get to stock apples all day. And I'm so, right. I'm so happy there because like I can hang out with my friends and like I just don't I don't take it home and that is and like I love campaigns and I couldn't mm -hmm. see myself doing anything else if I thought about who I am now versus who I was two years ago but for sure there's something nice about just finding like little little things that make you happy for sure for sure <laughs> I I know in my life um sometimes we like we see all of these like um achieving authors who are like don't watch tv like think about how much time you're wasting and I find myself where I'm like I'm sorry but I just need to turn my brain off absolutely and so we're gonna watch new girl like yeah. uh, or whatever it is just because I think that sometimes we can get we can be so hard on ourselves absolutely. like to be overachievers or be achieving all the time but like just like you've said several times, like you can't run a campaign for a really, really long time or else you no. would exhaust people. And exactly. so we have to take care of ourselves. So. Yeah. It's yeah. important to like, it's not self-care. It's literally just being doing the basic things that you need to do to be a person sometimes, um, mm -hmm. which is so important, but gets forgotten, especially in the dynamic of the world today. For sure. Well, shout out to partners who take care of us, Netflix, and um, jobs that are mindless. So absolutely, <laughs> some little mindless activities of like stocking things or organizing. For sure. For sure. So, uh, one of my final questions for you is: um, if like a candidate doesn't win, mm -hmm. um, is there any way to like utilize or salvage like the marketing or the campaigning efforts that you've used for the candidates? Like, I'm just curious oh, yeah. about oh. that. Oh. 100%. Absolutely. I have said more than once that you learn a lot more from losing an election than you do from winning. Like winning feels so good. It's so nice to like see the fruition of all of your work. But mm -hmm. from like a data standpoint, um, we keep all of our information on voters and all of the experiences, the doors knocked, the shifts completed. We all keep it in a large database called the Voter Activation Network or VAN. Mm -hmm. um, all of that data gets saved. So we've created, like I worked in 
on the east side of Indianapolis on my first campaign as an organizer. So I'm going to use that as an example. But Mm -hmm. it was an area that had never really been called. There wasn't really a volunteer structure at all there. So I went into it blind, having no experience and having a turf is what we call it with uh, no Mm -hmm. with no one that had really completed shifts before. And after the 2018 election, which Joe Donnelly did not win, a lot of my down ballot candidates did, but Joe didn't. Um, After that, they had an entire structure of like 30 volunteers that were volunteering 25 to 30 hours a week for me towards the end of a campaign. Wow. So crazy. And they all, um, specifically, I'm thinking of a woman named Teresa Bruno, who uh, she did, she knocked 2000 doors for me in like two months. And she talked to so many voters. She ran for state Senate the next year and oh, cool. she had a vol- She had like volunteers and yeah, I connected this woman. Her name is Eileen. She was 87. When I met her, she had never volunteered. She didn't know that there were any Democrats that lived on her street. And I found people wow. that lived on her street that lived two blocks over. And she has this structure of friends now. And then when a new organizer that had never made calls before and never done anything came in for the 2020 election, Teresa and Eileen and Emily and all of these people were just ready to go. They just came in That's and they awesome. were like, we know what we're doing and here's how we're going to help you as an organizer because Abigail taught us how to do it or the yeah. campaign taught us. So absolutely everything is transferable and movable and great. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Well, this um, has been like a really unique conversation for our podcast. Like I told you before we got started. Um, For me, I just feel like for one, it's so interesting to learn like behind the scenes because I receive the text messages, but (laughs) I don't know who sends them. It's Um, a person pressing a button. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I guess like um, I have one more question for you, but before I get to that one, what would you say to like the people um on the other side of the camp like um who you're trying to have conversations with or yeah. texting like any thoughts for them on how to receive those like that input yeah uh, a really big one for me um is to be kind it doesn't matter at the bottom line it doesn't matter how to like being if i'm going to vote for one candidate and you're going to end up voting for another um nothing to me and this is an experience that I have had, nothing ever warrants someone opening the door and screaming swear words at you. Nothing warrants someone sending horrible, like gross text messages back. Nothing, Mm -hmm. even if you think it's a robot, nothing warrants screaming at someone on the phone or those things. Just be kind because there is always another person that is seeing or on the receiving end of those messages. It may feel like you're yelling at a candidate who's running for president that might be seeing it, but it's, It's either a really tired campaign staffer or it's a volunteer that has taken time out of their day to fight for something that they believe in. So Mm -hmm. being kind, um, being being open and listening to what someone has to say, because the big part of the human experience is sharing stories. So listen and share your stories and be honest. Um, And if you feel as though you believe in something, there is someone that's running for office either near you or in a way that you can go call them or you can call from out of state or text or do anything to help them out. So find something that you believe in and committing three hours a week on a Saturday to make phone calls or knock doors can be the difference between someone winning an election and continuing to fight for the things that you believe in and losing by 20 votes. 
So mm-hmm. that's my that's, awesome. that's my big story. That's, that's my big pep call. Talk. <laughs> that's a great pep talk. Um, no, I think it's yeah. I just think about like the people who you might have to use the line of like I can't tell you how to care about people. Like yeah. um, I think um, <laughs> this is my personal view of about America is yeah. like we are so stuck in our own experiences that we don't take a listen to other people's experiences. Absolutely. We don't have to agree with, we don't have to agree with everybody. Like that's not, we're all different people and we're going to come at it from different angles, but we can still care for people who we disagree with. And there's, yeah. And there's always some sort of common ground somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Abigail, um, I anticipate that most of our listeners will not necessarily need you because they're not running for (laughs) politics. But if someone were wanting to connect with you to hear more about your experience, um, how might they be able to connect with you? Yeah. So you can, I can uh, put my LinkedIn. I can like send that out to you, but you can look me up on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled H-A-Y-S. There is no E. So it's Abigail Hayes. Um, You can... I can, we can message on there. Um, and from there, I can give you my email as well. Uh, I just want to screen just a little bit because I do like there are people that aren't the best, but um, I would love to talk if someone is interested or if someone's interested in volunteering or if you're feeling inspired, I will literally connect you to any campaign in the country. There's like a hundred people that do this for a living. The 2020 midterm elections are coming up and they all need help. So I can connect you where you need to go. For sure. (laughs) Well, thank you, Abigail. I'm really excited for everybody to hear this. Um, Thanks for giving us your time. So for sure. Happy to happy to join. Thanks for having me. Hey, y'all. Like I said, this is a little bit of a different podcast, um, but I hope you enjoyed it. I just can't help but think about the similarities between what Abigail has told us about political campaigning and business. Like for one, um, believing in something. Our products, like we've talked about this before, our products and services have to solve a problem for something. Political campaigns are quite literally trying to solve a problem um, via an elected official, albeit, but it still is like the same premise. using stories to persuade people. Um, If you've been around for two seconds, you've heard us talk about StoryBrand and how we use that storytelling framework to persuade people to take action. Um, Even in her sales tactics, um, I recognize that like most of our products aren't necessarily things that we can say, well, do you want it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Like she can convince her volunteers but there's no reason that we couldn't say, hey, this is great. When do you want to get started? Um, leaving people less room for yes or no's um, and more room for action, creating more room for action. Uh, so I hope you have some takeaways from this as well. Um, yeah, it's a very different episode of Marketing in the Wild, but quite like it quite literally is a situation in the wild that is very similar to marketing um, and that we can glean some things from. So we will see you next week. I cannot wait um, to introduce you to a new concept or a new guest. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to us with any questions. Friends, 
Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast episode. I'm so glad that you have. If you've enjoyed it as much as we have, I just ask you to subscribe so you know each time we have a new episode coming out. If you loved our podcast and want to give us a rating or a review, I promise we will read each and every one of them. A special shout out to our friend, Carson Childers, who is producing our podcast. We really appreciate him and all the hard work that he's done for us. Also, thanks to the Stratos team. They have been behind the scenes doing all of the graphic design, brainstorming, etc., etc. Really, this wouldn't be possible without them. I'm thankful for each and every one of you guys. Lastly, listener, we'll be back next week, and I hope you will be too. <laughs>